This is your Olympic hero and former WWE champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true. Kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun. I am the best in the world at what I do. Gentlemen, you are the top 1%. The elite. Rise to the top, oh yeah. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast, brought to you by Mo Sports in Liberty, the pinnacle of hard hitting sports talk, featuring weekly expert analysis and top notch interviews. And now, please welcome your hosts. Clint Schweitzer, and Noah Groniger. And fresh off of turning down a sponsorship with the Nike Just Do It campaign, Clint Schweitzer and Noah Groniger joining you right here on the Elite Sports Podcast. It is great to be here. College football week one is in the books. NFL week one is on the horizon. Noah, dust it off, man, because this is the time of year. It just gets me going. We've uh, already been to Nashville for the big time uh, Vanderbilt, Middle Tennessee game. We're back on the road this week. A&M uh, taking on the Clemson Tigers. But, man, college football's underway. Your general thoughts, are you are you pleased with this? Or are you longing for baseball, longing for more baseball and soccer, World Cup? I know you were... Yeah, I'm ready for the World Cup to uh, come to the United States, come to Kansas City, start playing here. But, yes, I'm ready for some college football, for some NFL. Football will be back. Finally, the long summer's over. It's hot. It's sweaty. There's boring baseball on. I can't stand it. Finally, we've got the film underway. We've got football back. It just feels like I'm home again. It does, and we are filming our documentary, Saturday Supremacy. We are on the road for uh, all every week of the college football season. We started in Nashville, and we are going to be – we just happened to uh, draw out of a hat College Station Week 2 for Texas A&M and Clemson. And uh, because of that, we're going to be bringing on a very special guest, one of the great defensive players in – Texas A&M history, Big Sam Adams, 14-year NFL career. He was a pro bowler. He play, was drafted by the Seahawks in the first round in 1994. And we're 44 talk to him. sacks, three interceptions as a defensive tackle. I remember him rumbling down the sidelines as a Buffalo Bill taking a ball into the end zone on a pick six from Big Sam Adams. Well, we're going to be down there, and we're going to try to bring home a win for the Texas A&M Aggies. It's going to be uh, tall order. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Clemson is a very good football team and maybe – Formidable. Formidable it would be a, it would be. The <laughs> the word um but we're gonna we're gonna be down there gonna experiencing uh the, the college game day atmosphere going to be going Aggie on yell at midnight all the traditions um texas a&m as we're going to talk to sam adams about you know maybe they're a year away uh, under jimbo fisher maybe it's going to take a while this seems like one of those games that, that it's going to be a ramped up crowd over a hundred thousand kyle field is a palace it could have been built by god himself it's to me it's the best stadium in college football uh we've been there we've seen it we know what we're talking about here and how it reaches just into the heavens. And that's why we say it's seemingly built by the hand of God himself as it reaches into the heavens. And you're going to have over 100,000 crazy Aggie fans in there. And they're going to be wanting immediate gratification. It might be a slow burn for the Aggie fans. They may have to take a couple on the chin. Clemson's really good. The SEC West is unbelievable. They're my biggest winners from college football week one as they went undefeated. 7-0 and in mostly wow. dominant fashion except for Auburn who beat a top 10 team themselves in Washington. 
that's what you know. What we learned is that Alabama is really good. LSU with a d- dominant win. Uh, that was over a Miami. little shocking over Miami. Was that, yeah, I couldn't believe that. And I looked at the score, watching the game. I'm just like, wow, they're really laying it to Miami. But w- getting back to this Texas A&M and Clemson game, you look at it. Clemson's just got that just dominant defensive line, and that's going to make things hard for an offensive line in Texas A&M that kind of struggles. Uh, they did have over 500 yards rushing last week, but that was against uh, just an awful opponent. And now they come in against Clemson. Can Travion Williams get going? Their great running back who had over 240 yards rushing last 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 week. If he can't do it, that puts a lot on Kellen Mond and Nick Starkle's shoulders. Can they carry the load? Uh, Clemson isn't great in their secondary, but I just don't think they can carry the load enough if they can't get that running game going. Well, what about Clemson on offense uh, playing two quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant? Kelly Bryant was the starter going into this. A lot of people are ready to move on and make Trevor Lawrence the guy. Um, really, though, it's the Clemson running game that I think is going to carry them. Uh, Lynn J. Dixon, Travis Etienne, uh, they had 250 yards rushing week one, but where do you see this Clemson offense? We talked about the dominant uh, front seven, offensively, quarterback position. Uh, obviously, um, you don't have Deshaun Watson anymore running out there, but do they do they need that? I don't even know that, that they do at this point. They're, they're that good top to bottom. They are, especially in the trenches. A lot of people say games are won and lost in the trenches, and uh, they've both like, they have it both on the offensive line and defensive line. Going to the quarterbacks, Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence, they couldn't be more different. Just a stark contrast of each other. Kelly Bryant, the mobile, get outside the pocket, sling the ball around, spread offense. Trevor Lawrence, uh, just that more pocket passer. It's a different blocking scheme. So just the stark contrast between the two is hard to have a different game plan for each. The receivers, the offensive line have to do their jobs different depending on who's in the game. So you might not see as much Trevor Lawrence. Uh, the fact that they played firm in such a horrible opponent last week, they probably thought they could get him some snaps. I don't know how much we're going to see him uh, against the Aggies. Uh, but Kelly Bryant, uh, I look for a lot of RPOs, run pass option, quarterback draws, uh, quarterback keepers design run plays for him, and uh, just getting out of the pocket. Uh, he, he, see how accurate he can be. Trevor Lawrence might have a little package here and there, but not as much as he did last week. Well, let's get into this a little more closely with our guest this week. As far as uh, the college game goes, it is Big Sam Adams, the 1993 consensus All-American from Texas A&M. Um, Sam, welcome to the show, man. It has been a while. It's so good to hear from you. A little bit of a big game coming up here on Saturday in Aggieland. I know everybody's excited. Over 100,000 people going to be there. Uh, what is your thoughts? I know this is an exciting time to be an Aggie. Yeah, man, it's, it's going to be a big one for the boys. It's a great atmosphere. It could have been, you know, this early in the season, being able to put something on like that at College Station. It's a great spot. It's a great atmosphere. Um, it, it, the landscape is just going to be going crazy. The environment will be electric. We're very excited uh, to be an Aggie. Well, it is. And Jimbo Fisher made his debut uh, last week uh, as coach of the Texas A&M Aggies. And you saw Kevin Sumlin, I thought, uh, before that, did some really good things at A&M, bringing in players like Johnny Manziel, winning a Heisman. It was hard for the Aggies to get to that next level. Uh, Defensively, it seemed like the team could never quite turn the corner. And now Jimbo Fisher in there, a guy that's, uh, you know, won a national championship. Um, you see a guy like uh, Kellen Mond, who's playing well, um, but obviously this offense is going to run through Travion Williams uh, on Saturday. This is going to be such a big environment. Um, is A&M up to the task uh, physically? Do they have the players to get this done against such an imposing Clemson team? Uh, you know, anything is possible. Anything can happen. I think the quarterbacks are a little green. Um, I think they have some things to work out in their protection. Uh, I, I think that they're going to, you know, 
they have enough talent. I just don't think that it is in. I don't think they're ready. And I would have loved to see them play Clemson later on in the year. I mean, we're going to step up to any challenge that we have uh, on the schedule. But I, I think that it's. I think it'll be a learning experience for us. Again, I don't think the quarterbacks are ready for it. Uh, you know, they have talent. He's going to have to just, you know, make some plays with his legs. I think, uh, I know, and I think we got a true quarterback. I mean, I, I hate to say that, and I respect Jimbo and and what they're doing. And I don't want to be the guy to to put something out there, but man, I, I didn't have any questions answered for me on last Saturday at the quarterback position. I think that's that competition is wide open. I mean, you know, I, I thought the kid had a lot of air and throws, and he looked a little nervous to me, and. I think that he's got to be able to settle down. I thought the backup kid is a better passer. To be honest with you, to be blatantly honest, I think the backup quarterback is a better pocket passer. I think the other kid can make plays with his legs more. And I think that he gives you, you know, he's able to extend plays and so forth. He's got a big hot arm, uh, that true enough. Um, I just, you know, he missed a lot of throws that I thought he should have made. And so I think that he will get that settled down because I know both of them can play and both of them can make plays and both of them are dangerous. I just don't see a clear cut, um, a clear cut winner in that quarterback position. And I, but I am not the coach, and I haven't seen them working every day and knowing what they're doing. We support them both, and we think they both give us a chance to win. Well, Travion Williams had over 200 yards rushing last week, but uh, a little tougher competition. Uh, Clemson comes in here with a dominant defensive line. If they can't get that running game going, and it's becoming a throwing game, do they go to Nick Starkle? You know what? If we can't get the running game going, we're going to lose. We win when we're able to – I take that back. You know, that UCLA thing hurt me last year too. Oh, God. <laughs> but if we can keep – see, that, that's the difference. So people don't understand. If you have a great running game and you're hitting – if you're hitting home runs, you know, 60, 70, 80 yards, that's not really a great run game. I mean, a great run games are 5, 10 yards a pop. You, you, you know, you're turning clocks. You, you're, you're in third and makeable. You're able to keep the chains moving. We're hitting home runs. Might as well be throwing bombs. I mean, they're scoring in two or three plays off of that run game. So, we obviously, we can tote the rock. I think the difference is when you have a great defensive team, they're not going to allow you to hit home runs. So, the, the run game becomes more potent. And if, if we can be in third and makeables, and they got third and three, third and five, and they don't have to go way down the field, any quarter, not any quarterback, but the two quarterbacks that we have will have a much better chance of being successful. Defensively, we're going to obviously be tested. Um, we're looking forward to being tested. Uh, and it's a hard place to play in, in College Station. I don't care. You know, we couldn't get the defense going and turn the corner, but it's very difficult to win in College Station, especially when our defense gets rolling, that crowd is involved. It's very difficult. And if we can keep them off the field with their run game. Well, Sam, just talk about what it means for you personally to be an Aggie. You were 19, in 1993, uh, you were a consensus All-American there. You were part of three straight teams that won Southwest Conference Championships, averaging somewhere around 71,000 fans per game at Kyle Field. Now that stadium is over 100,000, one of the best stadiums in college football. Just talk about what it means to be an Aggie for you. Well, you know, first of all, you, you know, to be an Aggie, it talks about character and your morals and your ethics. Uh, your moral compass, and, and, and it's, you know, we have a lot of respect for the people that we're playing against. Um, we have an Aggie code of conduct. We respect a lot of each other. Um, it's a family atmosphere there, and it's just a, it's a special, special place. And to be able to represent um, the great state of Texas in a student body and, and you know, Bryan College Station, um, it, it's, it's an honor. And, you know, you wear that 
badge of honor every time you know you go to the classroom you step in the community you step on the football field and uh we you know we have a it's a family you're family for life everybody that you know when you make a college decision you know that's a 50-year decision and and so you know you know we have chapters all over the country when i was playing in nfl everywhere i went they had an aggie chapter and you know whether i was in green bay or i'm in seattle and so it's a big network of people. We, we have a strong network. We're a family. And it's just it's a special, special place to be able to be a part of. And you have to live up to that, you know, those expectations that you have as a, a young man on the football team and as a, a member of the community. I was actually in College Station about uh, six months ago and just happened to stop by the stadium and uh, had a guy show us around there and he worked for the school and I mentioned your name. I said, uh, yeah, Sam Adams is a guy that we have on our show quite a bit and he his eyes lit up and he goes, Sam Adams, top two or three defensive players in the history of this program. It's like, wow, it just and it just – that's got to mean a lot, you know, because you, you know, there's been a lot of great players there, and uh, you know what you did, and what you guys were able to accomplish, three straight Southwest Conference championships. I know it's a team game, and man, what a career you had there, and it's got to be something that you can, you know, reflect on every day. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it was, I mean, it was such a special time and special time in my life, and I have lifelong friends there, and I have you know people that um, have are dear to my heart, and. Uh, you know, the, the, being, a, being able to be a part of that. I mean, R.C. Slocum built something special there. And even from my, you know, when I went on my visit with Greg Hill and Rodney Thomas and Wilbur Biggins and those, I mean, that's just a, a, a big a, a big family that, you know, it's a special time. And, you know, we've had great players to come through there, Ray Childers and Dad Wynn. And, oh, we've had all kind of Johnny Manziel. We've had all kind of special players there. But for us, it's about the family. I mean, you'd be honored and to be a part of that is always a great thing. But, you know, when I remember my, you know, the guys that came in with me, like Cliff Gross and those guys that helped, you know, mold you as a, a man and uh, being able to develop as a great football player, you know, you owe, you, we owe a lot. You know, I'm just extremely thankful for R.C. Slocum giving me that opportunity and, and uh, being able to give me that scholarship to play there. And, you know, it was all my teammates and, and the classmates there at Texas A&M that made that part of my life special. And, and I always remember it. And I tell you, man, you know, playing in some of those games, you know, playing against Texas on Thanksgiving, which I can't believe that we're not doing that anymore. I mean, to me, that was as big as being able to play in Super Bowls. And so uh, I, being able to be a part of that and being able to be part of something special like that is something that I will always cherish. Well, Sam, uh, switching from your college career to your son's, Taryn is now at uh, Arizona State playing under Coach Herm Edwards. How's that going for him starting off early this season? And uh, how is it uh, if you've had any dealings with Herm Edwards, him transitioning uh, from NFL head coach to NFL analyst now to uh, college football head coach at Arizona State? Man, he's a great coach. I mean, you know, coaching in college is way different than it is in the NFL. And, and you know, and I think that Herm has actually – taking that to the next level. I mean, he, he coaches those guys as, as young men. He gives them opportunities. He teaches. I think in college, you really, I mean, in the pros, yeah, you're teaching and you get everybody on the same page and so forth, but you are more of a teacher in college. I mean, you know, those cats come from different places and so forth, and if you have a college coach that is that will prepare you like Herm Edwards on and off the field, uh, it's very difficult to be in a better place. Very difficult to be in a better place. I mean, my son is a DB. Chad's a defensive back. 
So your defensive back playing for her and Edwards, man, it's a blessing. And we're just so thankful. Then he's got like future Hall of Famers like Kevin Mawai on the staff. Oh, wow. Antonio Pierce. I mean, man, that, that staff is loaded with people that will help mold your, your child. You know, Clarence Coach Tony White coming over from San Diego State. We're thankful for him. It's just, he's got a great staff he built. The kids are learning. And, bro, they got some talent. Let me Let me tell you. Well, not to put a lot of pressure on Taryn, uh, but last month we just had the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not saying uh, too much there, but uh, Ray Lewis went in, a former teammate of yours. You guys won a Super Bowl together. What was that like for you seeing that? Were you at Canton? Were you at uh, the ceremony? Or did you watch it on TV? Did you talk to Ray after it? I hadn't been able to talk to him. He invited me to come down. I was unable to make it. Um, it was special, you know, being able to play with him and share the, the moments on the field that, that we had. It was it was phenomenal. We're happy for him. You know, everything that we did as a team and accomplished, he is, and he's one of the best teammates you could have. He's he's thoughtful, you know, on the field. He, You know, when I say thoughtful, a lot of linebackers don't appreciate you taking on double teams for him, and they don't appreciate you doing that. And, and to be honest with you, I, did, I didn't do it for him. You know, that our system, our scheme, you know, if you come off and you want to do a school block or a double team, you're not getting loose. And so Tony Saragusa and Lionel Dalton and all the defensive linemen, uh, Rob Burnett, all those players that played on that defensive line, we came from an old school. Ozzy Newsom did a great job collectively putting us together because we were all fighters. We all were there for each other. You know, we wanted to win, but we were – the winning was more of a product of what we did. And Ray helped us uh, – he always helped keep us – uh, kept us focused when, when we weren't focused. We were a family. He was one of us, um, and we and we were there collectively to be a, the most dominant defense that we could possibly be. It wasn't it wasn't about wins and losses, even though that's the product of what you do right. It was about doing the little things right. We wanted to physically dominate you, and Ray was one of the guys that were able to benefit from the success of that because he would make play after play after play. If you would double-team Tony and I and let him run free, he would totally tear up your team and dominate. Not every linebacker can do that. I, I played with a cat named London Fletcher in Buffalo. I was able to play with a, a lot of guys, um, Takeo Spikes. Uh, I, I played with a lot of guys that are like that. Um, they're all with those kind of caliber guys. Not everyone can be those kind of caliber guys. And so Ray was, was an honor to be able to play with him and – uh, and, and see the accomplishments that he has and uh, being able to be a part of that was an honor. Well, Sam, since you brought him up, I uh, kind of wanted to just throw this in here. Uh, you talked about London Fletcher. Can you just talk about him and how he was probably one of the most underappreciated inside linebackers or linebackers in NFL history? I mean, I don't know who. You know, here's the thing. When you're a player, yeah, you like the fans to think certain things and feel certain ways, but, you know, I used to fight with him every day. And... He's, you know, he's a brother to me. He's a strong Christian cat. I appreciated the heck out of London Fletcher because I have been blessed in my career to play with some of the best. And when I went from Baltimore to Oakland and then from Oakland to Buffalo, I have no drop-off. I'm not saying that, you know, London Fletcher was Ray Lewis. They're two different cats, do two different things. What I'm saying is... The leadership 
of London Fletcher, the playmaking abilities of London Fletcher, and to KO Spikes, I, I didn't have a drop off. Now, London, now Ray's big and physical and so forth. Um, London being a smaller guy, I could care less. He's going to be there and make play. I know that if London Fletcher's on the football field and I do my job, he's going to handle his business and we're going to win. Same with Takeo Spikes. Oh, absolutely. Two great, two great other linebackers. But uh, Sam, we'd be remiss if we didn't get your expert opinion on uh, the defensive tackles in the game today, the great ones. Uh, you've got Gerald McCoy, Fletcher Cox, Geno Atkins doesn't get enough love. And of course, Aaron Donald just signed a big six-year, $135 million contract. Where was that money when Sam Adams was playing? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, man? I, I love making money. and I, I, I'm being able to do some things you know, off the field and so forth, but you know, the time that I spent, you know, being on the play with the Baltimore, with Cortez Kennedy and Pat Williams and, you know, some of those cats, money is all great, but that stuff goes. It's, the time that I spent with those cats and learning and being a part of something special, that's the time, that's the thing that I cherish. And those young cats that are playing now, it's great that they're making all that money, that generational money and so forth. Um, but enjoy the time. Enjoy being the best. And, and that's what really drives you. You know, he – you know, that kid in, in L.A., he works a lot in the off season. He works on his craft. Uh, Geno Atkins is a cat that I've been watching. He's a young dude. I was watching him for a while. He can go. I mean, it, it's people that uh, that are playing now that have done us well. I mean, we've been able to handle, you know, hand over the torch. And, um, you know, you have big physical guys that are playing. Um, they, they are more segmented where, you know, first and second down guys, um, I had an off, I had an opportunity to uh, work with Austin Joyner from uh, from the Tennessee Titans, and I'm gonna tell you, man, these, these young cats can all play. There, there's a lot of young guys that are out there that people don't know of, and they're you know, like you know the London Fletchers and uh, the KO Spikes, and so Austin Johnson is a guy that I'm saying, man, you know he's special in Tennessee, and he's gonna, he's up and coming, and um, Geno Atkins, and he's a great pass rusher, and he can stop the run, but there's a there's a lot of, uh, of of great defensive linemen, and you know the thing that I'm being to be honest with you, I'm not seeing. You know, it, it goes in bunches where you have great linebackers out there, you have great offensive linemen, but I think that the, there is so many good defensive linemen out there. It's making things really difficult, and I think that is the reason why you're seeing some of these offenses trying to change in some of the things that they're doing. That's great. You're uh, helping that kid in Tennessee, Austin Johnson. I'm sure he's le also learning a lot from another great defensive tackle I didn't mention, Jarrell Casey, who's there in Tennessee. Man, you know what? That kid can rush the passer. They got guys that, you know, when you got when you have big guys that can uh, stop the run and you have guys that can do everything and rush the pass. Ten the Tennessee Titans are up and coming, man. I love the quarterback. I love what he does. He's kind of like that uh, the kid at Texas A&M that can make plays happen and extend plays with his legs. But I, I tell you, man, if you, I had a chance to study with Austin and watch their defense. I mean, the Tennessee Titans are they're, they're up and coming now. They, you know, they have a great coaching staff. Um, they they have a great talent. They are. I'm gonna tell you, the Tennessee Titans are gonna be pushing for a Super Bowl. So I I, I really believe that. There's enough talent there in Tennessee, um, especially looking at that defensive line, those linebackers hunting and so forth. It, they're exciting to watch. 
Well, I want to go back real quick before we let you go to uh, you, something you said earlier about um, the fact that Texas A&M and Texas should be playing. I mean, that, I think that goes for a lot of uh, rivalries that have kind of gone gone out thanks to uh, college football realignment. Uh, we're here in Missouri. We cover the Missouri Tigers. The Texas A&M uh, Aggies and Missouri Tigers went into the SEC at the same time. You, of course, played in the Southwest Conference right before A&M went to the Big 12. So kind of talk about A&M uh, and their conference placement. When you were at A&M, you had battles with SEC programs like LSU had good success against them uh, and Missouri as well I believe you beat them 73 to nothing once I remember that game as a kid and I haven't quite forgiven you guys yet for that one but uh, where do you see uh, A&M uh, as a good fit in the SEC and then of course you know they've been in three different conferences in the last uh, 25 years you know I think that I think that the way that the game has evolved in college the amount of money that people are able to make and the things that they're able to accomplish um, to be honest with you, I think it's absolutely disgusting what uh, the officials did from Texas and A&M why we're not playing again. They took a 100-year rivalry. I mean, not a lot of people have that uh, and threw it away because of, you know, basically I want to take my ball and go home because you want to change sandbox. I don't, I don't see that. I think the SEC, um, and I'm not going to disrespect any other conference or any other teams and so forth, but... The, the SEC is the, is the best conference in college football. SEC and the Pac-12, I mean, they're every, they're, every conference is great, every, but the SEC and the Pac-12, you look at those two conferences, it's very difficult to say, hey, I don't want to be a part of that. I mean, I don't see in the Pac- It was the Pac-10 a while back, and so, you know, they added those two teams, and for us to be added to the SEC, it was only, it, it was only wide. For Texas not to come in the state where they are, you know, I thought it was selfish. I thought it was about money, and they took uh, uh, something that could have been special for them. I mean, look, look what it did to the look what it did to the program. I mean, yeah. When I when I was growing up, I loved Texas, and you know, Texas and Texas A and M. If you're from Texas, Texas, Texas A and M, uh, Baylor, Texas Tech. Oh, you love them all. Houston Oilers, Dallas Cowboys, love them all. I mean, we're we're all Texas fans. For Texas to do what they did, they haven't done anything since that decision. They look at what they've done. They're, they're going after coach after coach. You know, I think the coach that's there now is going to get things turned around and they're going to be special again. But I think that it hurt them not being able to play teams like Alabama, like LSU. I mean, even though we played LSU all the time, but they're on the schedule. Florida. I mean, weekend with Vanderbilt, weekend week out. You better get ready to rock and roll, or you're gonna get you can get blown out. To be able to play against that kind of talent every week in that kind of talent pool is just a, it, it, you can't you, you can't substitute it. And I think they made a bad decision, and because they made a bad decision, and they got paid all that money to have their own TV network, they decided for us not to play. I mean, it was you know the everything the pageantry around it, playing on Thanksgiving night. I mean, that was an honor. And they just took that away from them. And they, and, and, and many generations have come. I hope that the officials get that worked out and get us back on the schedule because that is a tradition that they have took away because of money. And I think that those people, 
And those people should be ashamed of themselves how they let that happen to us. Uh, absolutely. And uh, Missouri and A&M are both in better places and both in the places they are because of that, exactly what you mentioned about the uh, Longhorn Network and the way that things are run in the, in the Big 12. But, Sam, I'll tell you what, Noah and I are heading down to College Station this weekend to cover this game for our documentary, Saturday Supremacy. We're going to try to bring home a win for you, man. We're going to be thinking about you and, uh, you know, hope everything's well. And I hope your son has a great season. We just can't thank you enough. We're going to try to bring one home for you from Aggieland here this weekend, Sam. We're going to try yeah, to do let's that. Go get it. Let's, let, let's go get it. Bring them boys back. Let's, let's get us a good one and let's shock the world. Let's do it, man. I'll tell you what. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll do it again soon and uh, can't thank you enough. Looking forward to it. Hey, you all have a blessed day. Thank you for the opportunity. Go Ags. You too. Always an honor, Sam. Me too. Thank you very much. Be blessed. Thanks to Sam Adams, who, I'll tell you what, he kind of um, errs on the side of caution when it comes to this game. He says, hey guys, this may be a different game if they met later in the year or, or next year, but right now it's going to be tough for him to get this win. And, and I do agree with him, but some great stuff talking about his former teammates, London Fletcher, Ray Lewis. Sam Adams was a 14-year NFL player. He was uh, an all-pro. His son now at Arizona State playing under Herm Edwards and the other great coaches there. Great stuff, and I want to transition into the NFL because it is week one. We're ready to get this underway after, uh, you know, talk about a laborious baseball season. It's a laborious preseason in the NFL as we had to kind of get through that and get through some of the injuries that occurred and just kind of wait and see after the, you know, the cuts are made. And we're going to be talking uh, some Chiefs, some of the deeper issues in the NFL with Larry Johnson coming up here. This was an interview that we did on our uh, radio show last spring, but we want to bring it here onto the podcast because I think it's important as um, we have the Colin Kaepernick situation, the, you know, part of the just do it campaign and Larry has some opinions um, you know in that regard obviously when this interview is taped uh, this, this had not come to fruition yet, but he has some opinions about... The owners of, and the kneeling yeah. and the struggle between him and the players. So. And he was a polarizing figure in Kansas City, obviously. A great player. He had back-to-back -back, uh, seasons where he led the NFL um, in, in, in rushing yards. Thought-provoking guy. And Chiefs Nation has kind of re-embraced him as well. I think that now you see him on a lot of Chiefs groups on Facebook talking and he's interacting with the fans. He's definitely kind of turned a corner. He's focusing on his daughter, uh, being a better person, a better man, uh, just out in public doing things for the community and just having a good time and uh, reconnecting with those fans that he had that he might have lost. Some of, some of them he might have lost along the way. Well, we're going to be talking about the fact that Chiefs are perhaps, and I don't want to use this word uh, in a, as a negativism, Chiefs are in a transitional period at the quarterback position, which is going to leave the AFC West wide open. The Chiefs have owned this division two years, and really for three, they were the better team in 2015 uh, as Denver got in and won the Super Bowl. Uh, and the Chiefs, though, Patrick Mahomes era, it's on. Alex Smith goes to Washington. The Chiefs' defense uh, through the preseason looks absolutely horrendous. We kind of knew that going in. Don't really know what to expect from guys returning like Eric Berry. You got Justin Houston back out there. Where do you see this team? You got the uh, the Raiders coming off of a sub five hundred season. The Chargers made a late push, but as with them, always it's never enough, and they've got injuries. And the Chiefs open with the Chargers. Philip Rivers has thrown six picks against the Chiefs in their last two meetings. And then, of course, there's the um, Denver Broncos, who really, to me, they're just kind of in no man's land. 
Well, Kansas City, you talk about those six picks they had in the last two meetings. Those last two meetings, I believe Marcus Peters was on the team. Uh, we let him go. Uh, we got his replacement, David Amerson, who's now looking for a job elsewhere. He's been fired. Uh, the Chiefs have moved on. They did bring in Orlando Skandrick. Uh, he played a long time for the Cowboys. Uh, looks like he's going to be in that three-man rotation. Kendall Fuller, Steven Nelson, Orlando Skandrick. Uh, Andy Reid came out so they can all play the slot, so you'll see different uh, rotations there. Uh, brought back Ron Parker, got released by the Falcons. So uh, that's a familiar face you'll see in the secondary. We're not sure if we're going to see Eric Berry out there. The defensive line still a big question mark. Uh, these linebackers, uh, can Raglan and Hitchin stop the run, which we need? Uh, how's Xavier Williams and Derek Noddy going to perform in the middle? Uh, Breland Speaks outside and D Ford coming back from injury. Are they going to be able to create something? Is Tano Passanio still raw? This defense has so many questions. You still got Bob Sutton, so it looks like it could be a nightmare on the defensive end. Could looks like it could be Texas Tech. Looks like Patrick Mahomes is going to have to score 45 points. The defense gives us up maybe 40, and we're going to have to win games in a shootout. So it's going to be exciting on the offense. Patrick Mahomes, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, they're going to have to air it out. They're going to have to put up 40 for the Chiefs to get a win in this season. Well, the season kicks off on Thursday night. Falcons and Eagles, that is one of the marquee matchups in Week 1. What else can we learn from Week 1? Because really, there, you look around the league, there's not a lot of big matchups. You've got games like Texans-Patriots, which just uh, seems to me like uh, Deshaun Watson, everyone's going to want to see what he's like coming off of that injury. Can he come back and have the exactly. explosion that he did when, when he left, having 19 touchdowns, only 7 picks uh, when he did tear his ACL. The, week, uh, the league starts off with the Eagles and Falcons. Carson Wentz still isn't ready. Nick Foles has been struggling in preseason. Can he uh, regain that uh, Super Bowl performance or will he carry over that preseason ugly performance? Does the storyline of Colin Kaepernick and becoming the, the face of Nike's um, 30th anniversary of Just Do It campaign, does that overshadow storylines that could be coming out of week one um Bengals Colts uh you know Andrew Locke is he going to ever play football at a high level again is this are the Browns going to win a game especially is, against a formidable opponent that they haven't been able to beat like the Steelers in week one is that going to be hard is this going to be a uh something that's talked about that kind of overshadows week one of the NFL season it's going to take some away it's to be determined how much it's going to take away because it's definitely going to be talked about. It's a huge thing. Nobody saw coming. Nike laying in the weeds saying we didn't really release him. We were waiting for this moment to drop this on everybody. The Just Do It campaign with Colin Kaepernick. And you still have the collusion um, lawsuit that he's filed against the NFL. Eric Reed has joined that. Great safety for the 49ers, but he was kneeling along with Colin Kaepernick and he has still remained unsigned for teams like, oh, I don't know, the Kansas City Chiefs who could desperately use that help at safety. He remains unsigned because the kneeling there's definitely collusion going on but uh, we'll have to see where that lawsuit goes so this story will take uh, place will take some of the shine away it will overshadow some of it but to how much we're gonna have to wait and see risky move by nike obviously you're i mean this is something that definitely risky you already have people saying i'm throwing away my nike stuff but they're such a big company such a global company happen. yeah that i don't think it's really going to make them uh, think twice about it and be like oh never mind we're sorry about the campaign never mind just please buy the shoes like but you think about the campaign itself that started you know with with some like michael jordan and you know what yeah. he represented obviously this is the reason why i think it's risky is because kaepernick's a polarizing figure michael jordan was not he was in Space Jam, and everyone loves Michael <laughs> yes. Jordan and buying the shoes. This is different, and I, mean, I get the message here, and I, I get the bold move. I get what they're what Nike's trying to say, but it, it's it's tough when you think about the fact that you know John Elway. People like John Elway have come out and said, "Well, we we offered him a contract, 
So what, what about this um, is taking a stance for something you believe in, risking everything, risking everything, being a starter in the NFL, risking everything, getting a contract to be a backup because he'd been on the bench for several weeks as this is going on. There's a lot to this. I'm not trying to – I'm, I'm a fence sitter when it comes to this stuff. I'm a political fence sitter, and I always <laughs> will be. I'm a sports guy. That's what I do. Yeah, it's, it's interesting uh, case study. You look at Nike and what they're doing. They're not. I don't know if they're necessarily agreeing, saying we agree with him kneeling. Uh, we agree with that. But they're also like not against the owners, not against Colin, not for the owners, not for Colin. They're for Colin's just right as an American to take a stance and – pay the price and take the sacrifice. He's sacrificing for what he believes in. And that's why Nike's saying, just do it. If you believe in something, you got to be willing to take, you got to be willing to risk everything, sacrifice everything and stand up for what you believe in. We're not saying we believe in this. We're saying we believe in your right. And we're telling you that if you have something that you believe strongly in, then fight for it. Take the risk. Take the chances. Well, that was unbelievably rational. I have not heard a rational take like that since all of this <laughs> began. It's refreshing. We've been doing shows together for six years, and I'm like, I just feel lucky to kind of be sitting next to you right now because I agree 100%. You know, people always say that we just agree to agree all the time. Man, that's good stuff, and I I, I like that. I think that, that we're going to get Larry Johnson's take. Uh, for, we're going to you know, obviously not on uh, Colin Kaepernick as far as this campaign goes, but we're going to go back in time and bring you this interview that I think is pointing And it's something that, as, you're, as a Chiefs fan, you're going to want to hear. Talks a lot about uh, the current team, prospects going forward, his career, um, playing for coaches like Dick Vermeil uh, and Herm Edwards. And we're going to kind of bring him on right now. Time to get in the DeLorean, go back in time a little bit. Most Fortune Liberty, your one-stop shop for Mizzou, Royals, Sporting KC, Authentics, Apparel, and Gifts. Shop most sports off Cedar Avenue in Kansas City. Call 816-781-3393 or visit shopmostsports.com. He is joining us from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Former Chiefs running back Larry Johnson. Larry, welcome to the show. How is everything going, my man? The sun is shining, guys, 70, 70% of the time. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we, we're having an experiencing a little 70-degree day here in Kansas City. I know you get those sometimes randomly here in February and March, so we're, we're trying to enjoy that because, you know, it might be 22 tomorrow, so got to take it all in. You got to. You got to take advantage. <laughs> well, Larry, we you know again we can't thank you enough for taking the time out and talking to us today. And we you know well, I think one thing that's very interesting is that uh, in recent times you know you've been very active uh, in Kansas City um, social media communities on, on Kansas City Chiefs groups. You've been talking to a lot of Chiefs. Um, first off, what's that been like for you? Kind of connecting with Chiefs fans and what what have what's some of the feedback you've been getting from people you've been talking to? I mean, it started out rough, you know, which is understandable because you know obviously. No one knows growth or change if you don't automatically keep reproducing and staying online or staying on social media. So uh, most of the fans have been really, really cool and really great for me on Facebook and Twitter. And you know, let you know, gave me their support and and, and I also give them like a little bit of insight of you know how players react to certain things and how players can get better and and what things will turn out for the Chiefs in 2018, 2019 season. So. I mean, it's been a fun time for me to reconnect with fans, and I, I've loved it. I'm there, now I'm, like, ready to go back to Kansas City just to hang out now. <laughs> yeah, we got to get you back here. But I don't know if there's going to be many people at the stadium because we got to get your thoughts on this Marcus Peters trade. A lot of fans are upset about this. There have been so many uh, rumors surrounding this trade. But the latest one, after Marcus Peters' uh, recent interview on NFL Network, is that he and uh, head coach Andy Reid did not have any problems. So the rumor is that this was a Clark Hunt decision. 
What are your thoughts on that, and how can Clark Hunt and the Chiefs make this move and say that winning a Super Bowl is their number one priority, which has long been questioned since Clark has been owner? Uh, I think you have to look at the, the grand scheme of what the culture of Kansas City Chiefs are. I mean, Clark like, Hunt runs it, so every decision that he makes, he's thinking of his father. He's thinking what Lamar Hunt would do at this time, and Lamar Hunt was a sweet, sweet man. And you have to be able to uphold some type of reputation when it comes to your players. If you have a player throwing flags in the stands and creating an uproar, the fans are the ones that, that take over and have that power to either have Marcus Peters stay or have Marcus Peters leave. I think the backlash from, from what he has become has become a thing where Clark had to make a decision on what the reputation of his Kansas Chiefs were going to be in the offseason. I think the media plays a lot of part in it because that's all they're going to be asking is what Marcus Peters is going to do for next season. Is he going to protest? Is he going to throw more flags in the stands? As, as the owner, Clark, Clark Hunt just can't stand that type of reputation to be, to be the outlook of his team in the future. You made a, a very poignant uh, social media post on Facebook uh, just yesterday about kind of the comparison between Marcus Peters and Travis Kelsey, a guy that uh, has been involved in some similar on-field shenanigans, uh, throwing a flag at an official, kicked out of games, a lot of uh, you know personal fouls, things like that. But you, you refer to Travis as a guy that's, that's a fan favorite, a guy that he has a reality show. Maybe he's more approachable or recognizable. But yet, you know, we hear from Marcus Peters that he says he has no no real issues with you know with uh, with any of his teammates or any of, of the coaching staff. So, you know, kind of talk about that comparison that you made uh, between Kelsey and Peters and why the Chiefs, you know, decided to ship out Peters, but a guy like Kelsey remains on the team. I mean, I don't want to get really racial about it, but it's just the way it, the stigma is around not even only black athletes, but black children, black teenagers, black people, and regardless, we have a stigma that if we don't smile or dance or entertain, there are always in a, a, a passionate move to be hateful. We always have to be upset. That our passion always gets mistaken for we're disgruntled, we're misunderstood. Someone like Travis Kelsey will always be the fair favorite because I would I would pay that to, to play with Travis Kelsey just as much as I would pay to play with Marcus Peters because I can understand both sides. But most people look at look at African Americans as a aggressive, ferocious type players, and then you see the examples of the league is majority seventy five to eighty percent black, so you see a lot of more aggression out of black players than you would out of players like Travis Kelsey. I love both the way, the way they both play. I would I would love to play with both of them. But the, it comes down to a monetary system. Who would you show up to while watch? Travis Kelsey or Marcus Peters be unapproachable? It's just the way it is. It's the, the nature of the beast that can't change. It's the dumbest double standard that has been in this league and been in this country for since forever. And all you have to do is pretty much know who you are and know what the business is. This is a corporate business. The business is about money. Yeah, it's about you know playing on the football field and, and producing and winning championships. But at the end of the day, for owners and for coaches and for league owners and for everybody else, it's about money. You gotta you gotta understand who would you rather play to see Travis Kelsey or Marcus Peters? This is the way the game is. What about paying to see winning football? You played for both the owners. So, Larry, what were the differences in playing for Lamar Hunt versus Clark Hunt? Uh, from afar, it feels like Lamar was much more football first, while Clark is more business first. I mean, I don't know. Carl Peterson drafted me himself, and Lamar Hunt kind of signed off on it. It just worked well that Lamar Hunt was the presentator, uh, presenter at the Bill Walker was when I won in my college year. And it just kind of, he just kind of glued and fit that type of scenario where I was waiting behind trees and everything kind of ran as normal. I mean, it wasn't really no problems. We had great players on the team. We had great leaders on the team. 
So it really wasn't a problem when Clark Hunt took over. It was more about the image and the business and making sure you withhold the culture of who the Kansas City Chiefs were and whether he wasn't going to let random players like myself corrupt the image of what the Kansas City Chiefs were. And I, I have to applaud Clark for that. You know, he's sticking to his guns. You have to actually applaud a man for that, that not letting whoever says whoever about whoever take Absolutely, Larry. And I want to talk about kind of your your time coming here. Of course, you were drafted in 2003. Uh, it's kind of been well documented that, uh, you know, Dick Ramil um, wanted a defensive player. He wanted Troy Polamalu. He wanted uh, to go on the defensive side. The Chiefs defense was really struggling at that time. But uh, you come in here uh, in 2003 and immediately are behind uh, Derek Braylock and, uh, of course, Priest Holmes. Just talk about the your the you know the, the genesis of your time here in Kansas City. Obviously, you wind up uh, you know br- breaking a Chiefs record, the most yards in a single season with 1,789 yards in 2005. But no three, it was kind of a rocky start here in Kansas City. Just talk about the beginnings uh, on that great team that went 13 and three. But uh, you know it was very slow. You getting acclimated into that team. I mean, it was very hard. It was very hard for any rookie to come in and your first sign of a role in special teams. It's kind of hard because I hadn't played first. Well, I played first season in college, but. When you get to the pro level, you think, okay, they're paying me to be a running back, not paying me to be a special teamer. So it was a rocky start from that, and you have to understand different male sporting field because, yeah, Carl Pearson single-handedly drafted me on his own because he wanted to use me as an insurance policy for Priest, which you kind of, it's more of like a chess move rather than checkers. And, of course, that came with a lot of, you know, growing pains, but at the end of the day, Yes, I lost a lot of my youth years waiting on the bench, but then when I had my chance, I took full advantage of it, and the rest was kind of much uh, history. Larry, uh, I remember when you kept coming here, uh, you talking about wanting to be one of the greats of the game and how your dad would show you film of Jim Brown, Walter Payton, and others. Uh, do you feel if you would have gone to an organization that was all in on you, where you didn't have to fight for your spot and would have been the starter from day one, that you would have realized your full potential in the NFL, or would you have fallen into the same problems anywhere you had gone? It, it really, I, I really don't know. I just know, you know, me being young, me being on my own for the first time, I, like, I was real, I got, I'm a daddy's boy. Like, I was always around my dad. I, I always needed my dad around me. I always needed a comfortable support structure. You put me as a young kid who really hasn't been on his own before with, uh, with money and, and my emotions where I can't handle being on the bench. I couldn't handle getting my, my, my season started, my career started. And that really messed with me being that young, and I've acted immaturely in a lot of situations because I'm fighting to be who I always knew I could be was an NFL running back. And it was just a struggle for me to kind of learn hard that I had to wait my turn. I had to start all over again. I had to do certain things the right way, the NFL way. And there's just some things I just couldn't grasp, but I could grasp it at certain times, and at certain times, just my emotions get, get the best of me, and I couldn't hold on as much as I wanted to hold on. Larry, you guys had a lot of great leadership uh, on the offensive side of the ball when you got here, like Tony Richardson, Trent Green, Tony Gonzalez, Will Shields, Brian Waters, Eddie Kinnison. Were there certain guys who saw you through those uh, tough times and took you aside and tried to help you out? It, it was a lot. It was Dante Hall, Eddie Kinnison, Willie Rolfe, Brian Waters, Tony Richardson was the most because he lived so close to me, and Michael Bennett, and he was living, he was nearly my neighbor when I lived in the Overland Park. And those guys really kept my head and head straight and really kept me out of getting into more trouble or, or expressing my way negatively. They really, really helped me kind of like smooth all those, those toxic edges that I was running, running wild in the Kansas City community because I was so frustrated with myself, frustrated with what was going on, 
And I needed those players, I needed that leadership to kind of reel me in and, and know what was really important for me and for my career. Well, uh, Larry, can you talk about your relationship with the three head coaches uh, you played for here uh, during your time uh, in Kansas City, whether it's Dick Vermeil, Herm Edwards, or Todd Haley? And are you able to step back from your feelings, good or bad, uh, for, for each of them and talk about their strengths and weaknesses? I love Dick Vermeil because he was a he was a coach's he was a player's coach. Like you 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 got involved with his emotion with other players. Like every time he brought up Trent Green or or Kurt Warner, like you, I love hearing those stories. Uh, like Vince Papoli, when we like, he did the, at the time that I was with uh, Dick, the movie uh, Invincible, came out. yeah, Invincible, yeah, Invincible, and I loved hearing those stories. I loved hearing history of the NFL, and when it came with Herm, I loved Herm even more because Herm looked out for me as far as a running back needed to save his leg. He was good with Curtis Martin, and he was even tremendously great, great with me. I did. I felt like I was the reason I, that Herm got fired because I felt like I should have been a little bit more appreciative of what Herm really brought to the Kansas City Chiefs. I, mean, I love, you know, Herm made sure every single day I was next to him or every Sunday that I was next to him um, from the National Lands. I mean, he always took care of me like I was a son and made sure I was good. If I did, if I had 98 to 97 yards, Herm made sure I went back in and got my 100. That, that's the type of coach I love. And he loved to run the ball. And when it came to Todd Haley, we both chance only because of our Eagles were so completely different. We were two alpha males with totally two different ways of running offenses. See, I wanted to run the ball more. He had a shotgun pistol offense. I wasn't dis- I wasn't successful during the offense. He was a lot ahead of the game because he was an offensive guru. So me trying to fit into his offensive game scheme just didn't fit with who I was as a running back. It fit more with Jamal Charles and whoever he had afterwards. But for, well, as far as me, I just wasn't a shotgun, run the ball kind of type of a player. So we kind of bumped heads that way. Now, do you have any regrets? You went on Twitter saying your dad was a coach. He played the game, but Todd never did. He played golf. So do you have any regrets about going on and handling it that way? No, I don't ever regret that because it was a true <laughs> statement. I can't regret that. <laughs> I can't regret that. Very true. It, it, it's that it, it, is what it, it is what it is. Like The next squad meeting, he came in and tried to explain. Like, he came into Chicago Bears as a tight end coach. He was the office coordinator, which is remarkable to me because I'm hearing the transition of how fast he became a head coach. And my father always wanted to be an NFL coach. And, and a lot of black other coaches struggle trying to even get their foot in the door. To try. I mean, I got young teammates that are coaches at like Howard, David Kearney and Howard and different universities that are dying to get into the NFL level. And it just doesn't happen as quick as them. For me, I'm looking at it as a standpoint where Everybody, not everybody has the same opportunities. But, you know, here you are. But what I said was a fact. It wasn't like I was lying on them. Well, Larry, talk about physically the toll that uh, that the 416 carries an NFL record. In 2006, you carried the ball for an unbelievable 416 times. Talk about the physical toll that that took on you, uh, you know, and, and how that kind of affected you uh, on the downturn of your career. To, to, to me, people think that like 416 carries like, that means I got ran into the dirt. People seem to forget I didn't play college football. Literally, take carries until my senior season. I waited on the bench for Kansas City for like two to three years before 2006. So to me, I was getting care- I was getting back pay. I was getting tax return money <laughs> or tax return carries. I was expecting <laughs> those carries to come to me. To me, I, I was built for it. I'm, I'm a strong running back. I love you know you know running in you know three hours in the cloud of dust or three hours in the cloud of snow. I'm that type of running back. Me, I give me the ball. I, I will never complain and I will never say oh. Too many carries is too much. My legs hurt. No, I'm I'm at the, uh, the shape 
in my career, I could withstand those carries. And I love the, the, the physicality of that game when you kept giving the ball because that, me giving the ball, it just warms me up. It doesn't cool me down. Obviously, and I want to you know just kind of get your thoughts now. You seem to be in a very good place as far as your your time here in Kansas City. Now, uh, reflecting back on it, though, um, w- w- how difficult was it? You know, le- you know, leaving this organization. I know you had a, a few off the field issues and wound up getting uh, traded to the Cincinnati Bengals. Just kind of talk, you know, reflect back on that time. You know, leaving here, where there's some ill feelings, and then moving on. And how much do you think that that situation actually helped you later in life, overcoming those off the field problems and then leading you into your you know adulthood now? I really didn't learn regret until I left Kansas City Chiefs because I felt when time went on, it was so many different things that I, I could have done better personally for myself and for my teammates and for the coaches and for the owners. I felt personally because I was one of the only few that had met Lamar Hunt before he passed. I felt that like I left him, I let him down because I met that man and I had conversations with him. So it felt that when I look back and reflect, it's a, I wish I could have done things completely different and just. Kept my mouth shut. Did what I had to do the first two years, and and just left it left it up to chance, and just left it up to luck, and just you know going on with my career. And I would have been able to be in the league three or four more years, but because which is what I'm trying to get Marcus Peter to understand. Once you have a stigma attached to you that you're a problem child or a problem teammate or a problem player, it attaches yourself to you. So everywhere you go, people handle you with kid gloves. They handle you like. I don't know how toxic he is, but I'll keep him on the team for two or three games and see what happens. If I don't, if I don't notice him smiling or, or being a teammate or being a team player, I have to get rid of him. And that's what happened at the later parts of my career. And I felt like no one had to take a chance with me more than four or five weeks. And it's because all those off-field issues and all those issues I had personally that I just couldn't handle at that time took, took the best of the situation. Larry, you're kind of outspoken out there right now uh, talking about the current Kansas City Chiefs, so we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you your thoughts on the Alex Smith trade and Patrick Mahomes taking the reins. Alex was consistent, a good guy, a leader, a great teammate, but he just fell short when it counted late in playoff games. Uh, Mahomes, he has a special arm talent, uh, maybe one of the best this league has ever seen. Can he harness it? Can he be the franchise quarterback this team has been in search for since Tyler Thigpen? No, but maybe forever. Uh, like like they like the same goes, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. So you know, a lot of kids these fans gotta be really, really patient with him because young kids or young quarterbacks just don't start off being Super Bowl ready or playoff ready and just under like a couple of preseason games. That's just not how it works. Some guys just need a little bit more time to get acclimated and you need to help them out with the offensive line. You need to help them out with receivers, you need to help them out with the running game. It's a lot of different things that he has the tools to do. It just takes time to actually him get acclimated. Alex Smith, it was just coming to a point in his, his career, there's certain things he couldn't do. He needed a lot more help and a lot more backup to get him to that area. And people really can't be mad at Alex Smith. He played amazing this whole season. Like, he did everything you asked him to do, but certain players just don't have that extra something to carry them off into the playoffs or carry them off to the Super Bowl. Hopefully Mahomes has it because he's a young kid and he's fiery. Hopefully, you know, that'll spark sooner than later. Larry, before we let you go, I've always thought back to this 2005 season, and that was a really good team that did not wind up making the playoffs, but... 
you wound up rushing for nine straight 100-yard games that season, but it started off with you and Priest Holmes kind of sharing the load. You had both had monster games in the first week against the New York Jets, just blew the roof off. It looked like it was going to be a tandem that was not going to be able to be stopped. Do you regret not being able to have more of a you know a one-two punch uh, with Priest Holmes? Or in hindsight, do you are you thankful for the fact that you got to be the number one guy here in Kansas City? Or do you think you could have done real damage had Priest Holmes been more healthy that 2005 season? Uh, if he was a bit more healthy, he would just he would have made my career a little bit longer. Maybe um, I would have just been waiting. Like for me, I'm a carry. I'm a back that needs 20, 30 carries to get in the rhythm, to get in the groove, to to really get my emotions out. <clears throat> I really wasn't good with you know a one two punch of me coming out when I got going or him going in. Like I just never do when he was going to come out, and I would just have to go in there randomly. And it was like sometimes I was ready, sometimes I was not, sometimes I was. I don't really know how hard they're going to hit. Like to me. I have to be in a game from the, from the beginning to the end and in overtime to really feel my way out, to really take over games in the, in the third or fourth quarter because I need to be in there and get one of them in the first second. Now, Larry, you were just a rookie in 2003, but did you know kind of any – or did you feel any separation between offense and defense, especially in that playoff game? That defense couldn't stop Peyton Manning all game. There was no punts in the game. But you got William Barty out there, Eric Hicks, and just such a great, strong offensive unit, that great offensive line, Tony Gonzalez, Trent Green, yourself, Priest Holmes, and that defense just couldn't get it done for you guys. It was, I mean, it was, it was tough. It was tough. It was a tough game. Man. At that time, Indianapolis Post was very, very good on defense, too. And they were very good on offense. Yeah, we had some weapons, and it was. I'm surprised we didn't lose as much as we did when we played them uh, at their place. But we, we fought. You know, we tried to fight and stay in there. It was a very long season. We didn't even know at the time we were going to even get into the playoffs. But you know, we did. And I felt like we just didn't have enough us to actually, you know, get the job done. And you know, they were a good team at the time, and it proved it because they kept they, they kept going. Larry, I tell you what, we can't thank you enough for joining us and, and um, you know reminiscing about some of the good old days, talking about the state of the current Chiefs. We love having you to, to bounce stuff off of. You have some really good points. And I'll tell you what, anytime you want to come up to KC, man, come up for a game, hit up uh, Noah, hit up myself. We'll make it happen. We'd love to love to have you up here, man. I know a lot of Chiefs fans would love to interact with you up here in person and, and do it the right way, man, bring you back to Arrowhead. We'd love to make that happen. Oh, let me know for sure. I'd, I'd love to come back. I'll make sure it's a... It's, different. It's, a, it's like a homecoming game. I need uh, when Kansas City versus Denver. That's like to me. That's like a homecoming game to me. Hey, there you go. You, you know that one's always going to be a big one, Larry. I tell you what. Thank you so much, my friend. We'll be in touch, and uh, we can't thank you enough again. And best of luck. We'll definitely be in touch. We'll make something happen soon, my friend. All right. Sounds good. That was a great interview with Larry. I'm really glad we were able to do that. I hope uh, Chiefs fans and, and football fans alike uh, were able to enjoy that interview. It was something we did several months ago again, but we thought it was poignant to to bring back on and uh, air on this podcast, which, by the way, this is our second episode. Last week, we were so grateful to have uh, Tim Brando and Dave Matter join us talking college football. This week, Sam Adams, Larry Johnson. Guys, that's the kind of interviews you can expect going forward here on the Elite Podcast. We truly believe that this is the best that it gets because we're all about bringing you these interviews. Our analysis is one thing but we're always going after the best bringing these guys on our connections the people that we believe in that can come on here and make this a top-notch podcast we appreciate you subscribing on itunes if you're an android user you got to have the double pod app and that's how you're going to subscribe right there if you are not an iphone user Follow us on Twitter, at GASN Sports. That's what all of our stuff is under, our network, our global network that's taking over the world. That's where you can find uh, our Empire Sports podcast. And definitely check out our documentary. Stay up to date on what we're doing with that, uh, www.saturdaysupremacy.com. 
Thanks so much for joining us. We're going to be back next week. We can only imagine the hijinks, the high profile, the top-notch guests. They're going to be right here on the Elite Sports Podcast. As we style and profile for each and every one of you.